songs and the truths that's contained therein. Time's getting away from us, so we're going to skip that worship hymn and go right into the message. If you would turn to Isaiah chapter 12, the 12th chapter of Isaiah, as we continue in our verse-by-verse study through this Old Testament, which many Bible scholars have referred to as the Romans of the Old Testament, this book, inspired book written by Isaiah. Last week we laid a foundation for our studies in Isaiah 12, only six verses there, but from the closing verse of this chapter, which was our text last week, we read, Cry out and shout, thou inhabitant of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel in the midst of thee. And Jesus Christ is the Holy One of God, and he's in the midst of spiritual Israel, his blood-bought church. He is and always will be great in our midst. You cannot ascribe too much greatness to the Lord Jesus Christ. And only those who have experienced the miracle of the new birth know this to be true. The name of Jesus Christ is above every name. I shamefully confess with sorrow in my heart that the name of Jesus Christ meant no more to me than the name of Adolf Hitler in my unregenerate state. Matter of fact, I hated Jesus Christ more than I hated Adolf Hitler. And I grew up right after, during and right after World War II. And so his name was despised by the majority of the people here in the United States. But I never used the name of Adolf Hitler when something went wrong in my life. Isn't that interesting? I blaspheme the name of Jesus Christ and I shamefully admit that. Why? Why would anybody do that? Why would they use the name of Jesus Christ in anger when something goes wrong or we experience a painful trial? Why, why would we do that? Because we hate God and we hate the Christ of God in our unregenerate state. We're totally depraved and want nothing to do with God. Jesus Christ is God Almighty and we express our hatred for our God by our hatred for His only begotten Son, our hatred for His true gospel, and our hatred for His amazing grace that has been displayed so beautifully in the lives of so many that we also hated in our unregenerate state who are true followers of Christ. But my hatred for Jesus Christ was replaced with undying love for Him when God sent the Spirit of His Son into my heart. In that day, that appointed day, when I saw the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ and my sins all forgiven because of His precious blood that Mike was just singing about, what joy flooded my soul. Now, only a child of God can understand this. Only one who has experienced the miracle of the new birth. Only those who can read and know what verse 1 is talking about when it says, And in that day thou shalt say, O Lord, I will praise thee. Though thou wast angry with me, thine anger is turned away, and thou comfortedest me. And verse 4 
speaks of that day again when it says, And in that day shall you say, Praise the Lord, call upon His name, declare His doings among the people, make mention that His name is exalted. We won't get to that verse this morning, but I wanted to read it to stress this morning's subject. In that day. In that day, the day our text is referring to, is the day our Lord delivered us from the power of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of Jesus Christ our Savior. And all of God's enlightened children know this to be true because we've experienced this. Salvation is of the Lord. But every chosen blood-bought child of God must experience this from the hand of God Himself. And when we try to share this wonderful gospel the joy that we have, the peace that we have with those who have never experienced the miracle of the new birth. It's like trying to describe color to a person who's born blind, who's never seen color. They just don't know what you're talking about. And that's exactly what the unregenerate are ignorant of. They don't know what we're talking about. The gospel is foolishness unto them. We were spiritually dead in trespasses and sins until that day. Graveyard dead, as Henry Mahan would say. Our carnal minds were enmity against God. We hated God. The Word of God tells us that. There was no good in any of us. Our sinful sacrifices were an abomination to God. Our wicked ways were an abomination to God. All our thoughts were an abomination to God. There is none that doeth good. No, not one in their unregenerate state. The only good that we have is Christ in us. And the only good that we do is a result of Christ in us. God accepts nothing but that which is produced by the Holy Spirit who dwells in the heart of every believer. Therefore, because of our totally depraved, abominable, helpless, and hopeless, sinful condition, we not only would not praise the true and living God, we could not praise Him. So in that day, the first verse of Isaiah 12 says, In that day thou shalt say, O God, I will praise Thee. So this has to be referring to that day when God took the old stony heart out of us and gave us a new heart to worship Him and to serve Him and to praise Him. Now self-righteous, false religionists go through their hypocritical motions of pretended praise. They join religious groups, get their name on a church roster, sing with the congregation, even hold positions in church, some even pastor churches. But all that which they're going through is nothing but an abomination to God. And why is that? Because they don't have Christ in them. They don't know Him. They can't praise Him. How can anyone offer praise to the Lord Jesus Christ if they don't know Him? They can't. Under the preaching of His Gospel, God sends the Spirit of His Son into our hearts at His appointed time of love for us. That's the day our text is referring to as Pastor Don Fortner so wisely stated. That day was a day of conviction, a day of revelation, a day of faith, 
a day of assurance, a day of praise. Now speaking for myself, but I truly believe this applies to all who have been raised from an awful state of spiritual deadness. No other day can compare to that glorious day when I was given faith to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And I've had some pretty exciting days in my life. I'll never forget when my lovely wife said yes to my proposal of marriage. <laughs> we were in church. She was 17. I had just barely turned 18. And I had proposed to her. We were engaged for a year after she said yes. But she was playing the piano and had come back and I was sitting beside her and she told me that she would marry me. And I was so excited. I, I was holding her hand. I stood up. The preacher was trying to preach, but I, I was getting all the attention. <laughs> and I was just... Those around me, they didn't mean anything. I didn't even notice them. I didn't notice the preacher. I was just too excited. And Judy was trying to pull me down, sit down. and That was an exciting day in my life. But nothing compares to that day when I was made known that I'm a member of the body of Christ, married to Him. When I laid eyes on my firstborn son, I just cannot begin to express how I felt. That was an exciting day for me. There was a living human being that had my blood flowing in his veins. But that does not compare to that day that I was told that I'm a child of God, washed in the blood of Jesus Christ, and that his blood was effectually applied to my conscience, delivering me from wicked works that I might serve the true and living God. And that excitement occurred for every one of our six children. And then when I laid eyes on my first grandchild, <laughs> I, I, I just cannot put into words how I felt. But that does not even compare to the joy that I receive when I see people coming to Christ who are just like me running from God, hating God, living licentious lives, embracing the truth concerning Christ, becoming aware of the fact that they have received the spirit of adoption, have been united into the family of those who were redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus. Those were precious, exciting days. But that day, in that day, when I had my blind eyes opened, and I saw Christ and believed in Christ. That's a day of all days, and every day has been sweeter than the day before with Christ as my Savior and my King. 
in all things. Jesus Christ must have the preeminence in our lives. And He does. He does. In the heart and in the lives of all of God's enlightened children, He has the preeminence. We might not fully understand this at first, but we're still babes in Christ when God reveals this to us, makes this known to us, that He must have first place in our hearts, as Brother Steve was bringing out in his Sunday school lesson, that day, the day we experience the loving hand of God's mercy delivering us from the power of darkness because of Christ and for the glory of Christ, was the beginning of our living, loving union with the true and living God, a union that can never end. We are His blood-bought children, We have been united to Him by faith and God has promised never to leave us nor forsake us. We have the promise from God Himself that we have eternal life because of Jesus Christ our Savior who loved us and gave Himself for us. Now verse 1 says, And in that day thou shalt say, O Lord, I will praise Thee. This is a statement of fact and an imperative declaration. It is not a question of will you praise Him. The Spirit of God dwelling in us will move us by His grace, will give us a willing heart to delight in giving our great triune God unending praise for His unspeakable gift, eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord and our Savior. This is something that all of God's children will bring forth for the glory of the One who is seated on His throne in glory, the God-man Jesus Christ, because He dwells in our heart and the Holy Spirit will move us to give Him all the praise and all the glory. This is called the fruit of the Spirit. Now listen to one of the reasons our text says that we shall praise the Lord our God. Though thou wast angry with me, thine anger is turned away. (laughs) Now God's anger has not been turned away from all of Adam's posterity. False preachers have been lying to their congregations for thousands of years, telling them that God loves everybody, telling them that God has a wonderful plan for them. You didn't see that bumper sticker on the back of Noah's Ark as it floated away, while a whole world of ungodly people perished under the angry wrath of God against them. And Lot didn't go through the city of Sodom telling everybody that God loves you and has a wonderful plan for you. No. God showed His hatred for those Christ-hating people after He delivered Lot and his wife and their two children. Then He poured out fire and brimstone down on them from heaven. And Pharaoh and his whole Egyptian army never heard that God loves everybody. And God demonstrated His hatred for them when He brought the walls of water down upon them right before the eyes of the Israelites on the other bank. God does love some of Adam's fallen race. And that's a great wonder to all of God's enlightened children. We have no problem understanding God's anger and His hatred toward rebellious, sinful, hell-deserving sinners But we will never fully comprehend, I don't believe, the love of God for hell-deserving sinners. We were just like those reprobates. We ran with them. We hated God. We shook our fist in His face. We drank iniquity like water. We deserved nothing but God's wrath. 
So we, we don't have any problem understanding his anger and his hatred. But what a wonder that God would love me, that God would set his affection upon me. This is the greatest wonder of all. What wonderful love God has demonstrated by sending his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to that cruel cross to be the propitiation for the sins of His people. John described that. He said, Here in His love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to prove His love for us. In that day, that glorious day when the love of God was shed abroad in our hearts by God the Holy Spirit, by faith we received and embraced this wonderful truth. God loves me with an everlasting immutable love. Does that bless you to know that God loves you? It blesses me and I'm amazed every day of my life since that glorious day when the love of God was revealed to me, in me. We heard the truth from the lips of God's ordained preachers. But it was God Himself who taught us the gospel of His amazing grace and His love for His particular people. And the Holy Spirit revealed to us why God is not angry with His people. There's a reason why He's not angry. By His one offering for sin, the Lord Jesus Christ appeased God's anger against His people forever. It's because of Christ that God is not angry with us. When our dying Savior, having been made sin for His people, suffered the unmitigated wrath of God, He met all the conditions of the eternal covenant of grace and set His chosen people from God's coming wrath. We're set free from the wrath to come because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. Our Heavenly Father turned a deaf ear to this cry from the lips of Christ our Savior, He cried out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And God did not respond to that cry. Our Father in heaven would not respond to the agonizing cry from His only begotten Son so that He could respond to our sincere cry for mercy for the glory of His darling Son. And it's Christ in us that convicted us of our sin and our helpless and our hopeless condition, conditioned, showing us that we're bankrupt and have nothing to offer to God, which moved us to see our need of mercy that caused us to cry out to God for mercy. And He never turns a deaf ear to the sincere cry from a sinner convicted by the Holy Spirit of their need of mercy. He, he did turn His back on His Son he did forsake His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, so that He would never turn His back on us and would give us the blessed assurance that He will never leave us and never forsake His those who were purchased with the blood of Jesus Christ. What love! Now, brethren, God's anger against us has been removed, turned away forever because of what Christ has done. We had nothing to do with that. We played, we played no part in that suffering sacrifice of our Savior. We had nothing to offer God, not even our free will. That is such a terrible doctrine that is, is dominating most of so-called professing churches today. That's a lie right out of the pit. 
It is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. In that day, the day of divine revelation, the Holy Spirit enlightened our new minds to the glorious truths of the Gospel. That's when we begin to praise our Lord Jesus for what He has done for us, for what He has done in us, for what He is doing for us, and what He's doing in us, what He will yet do for us, and what He will yet do in us. It's God Himself that's working in us both to will and to do of His good pleasure. And He which hath begun a good work in us will perfect it until the day of Jesus Christ. Now our text closes with one more blessed truth that is directed toward God's promised children who were purchased with the blood of Jesus Christ, the blood of the everlasting covenant. The closing last four words says, And thou comfortedest me. God Himself is the one who comforts the hearts of His enlightened children. And He does so under the preaching of Jesus Christ and His glorious gospel. And it's all according to His amazing grace. And all of God's ordained preachers are instructed by God Himself to comfort His people. We'll get to that in our future studies, but in Isaiah chapter 40, verses 1 and 2, we read, Comfort ye, comfort ye my people, saith your God. Speak ye comfortably to Jerusalem. And cry unto her that her warfare is accomplished and that her iniquity is pardoned for she hath received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Now it's a great honor and a great privilege for hell-deserving sinners who have been ordained to preach God's Word to share these truths with you. To tell you your warfare is accomplished. Jesus Christ has already destroyed all of our enemies for us. He took care of all of that back at Calvary 2,000 years ago. When He came out of the grave, He led captivity captive. He's our risen, exalted, conquering captain. So He has already won the warfare for us. Your warfare is accomplished if you're in Christ. Lay down your weapons of warfare against God. Quit trying to earn your salvation and enter into that which Christ has done for us. His finished work receiving this glorious truth that Jesus Christ so fully redeemed His people that not one thing can be laid to our charge. Isn't that good? That's good. God has given us a full pardon. All of our iniquities have been pardoned and we have received double from the hand of the Lord for all of our sins. What does that mean? Well, first of all, the pardon, the full pardon from God Himself because of what Christ has done for us. He has forgiven us for Christ's sake. Secondly, we have received the spirit of adoption. It's not only that God has forgiven us, He has united us by faith into the family of God. We belong to Him. We're His. And we're united to Him. We're His adopted children. He's our Heavenly Father. Those are endearing terms. So God not only has granted a full pardon to all of His those who were purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ, we're His children. We're of the family of God. Does that bless you? Folks, it's only a, a selective few who are in that number. They're called His elect. They're called His chosen people. Our Lord Jesus made a clear distinction between those who are His and those who are not His. He told some unbelieving Jews, Ye believe not because you're not of My sheep. They were goats. And in the next verse, He says, My sheep hear My voice. 
and I know them, and they follow me, and I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave me the, gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. So, there's a distinction in God's Word made between those who are vessels of mercy, which God afore prepared unto glory, and those who are vessels of wrath fitted to destruction. There are some who are appointed to stumble at the Word. But God, from the beginning has chosen us to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth. And like I said before, God's preachers are blessed of God in allowing us to preach Christ and His gospel truths. But it's God Himself who makes the gospel effectual in our hearts. And when He does, in that day when He does, we will praise Him. We will give Him all the glory. We fell in love with the Lord Jesus Christ in that day. There was no love there before. We hated Him. But when the love of God was shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, we fell in love with Jesus Christ. We haven't seen Him with the physical eye. Peter said that. In whom having not seen you love with joy unspeakable and full of glory. But we see the glory of God in His faith by faith. So we fell in love with Him. We fell in love with His Gospel. I love the Gospel, don't you? I love the truths of the Gospel. We fell in love with His people. I love God's people. I love to be with God's people. I love to fellowship with you. I love this wonderful union we have together because of that common denominator, the blood of Jesus Christ that has washed us clean. We have the same faith. We have the same Heavenly Father. We have the same hope, the same blessed assurance, the same full inheritance that's waiting for each one of us. So we fell in love with the One who loved us and gave Himself for us. And we manifest our love for Him by our love for each other, by our love for the Gospel, by our willingness to support the Gospel with our labors of love and our monies and our dedicated, continual attendance out of the preaching of that glorious Gospel. False religionists manifest the hatred they have for God by the hatred for His Gospel. They absolutely hate the doctrine of the total depravity of man. You want to get their hackles up? Tell them they had nothing to do with their salvation. Tell them they were just as dead in trespasses and sins as Lazarus was physically when God raised him from the dead. Tell them they don't have a free will. That their will is bound by their old Adamic nature. And that they will not come to Christ that they might have life. Unless God the Father draws us, we will not come. Tell them about God's unconditional electing grace. That they had nothing to do with God electing us. I know false preachers will say, well God looked ahead in the future and He saw who would make a decision for Him and election is based upon that foreknowledge. That's a lie right out of the pit as well. God loves us with an everlasting love and He chose us in Christ unconditional upon what any man or woman would do. Peter tells us in 2 Peter 1.9 that God has saved us and called us with an holy calling not according to our works but according to His own purpose and grace which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. And Paul, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit referred to 7,000 that God Himself had reserved unto Himself and said 
that even at this present time also there is an election according to the grace of God. So election is based upon God's grace and if man has anything to do with it that destroys the meaning of the word grace. They hate that. Ungodly self-righteous religionists hate the doctrine of God's unconditional electing grace. And they hate the doctrine of the, the limited atonement of Jesus Christ our Savior. They try to shame you and shock you. <gasps> How can you teach that? How can you teach that? Jesus Christ just died for a particular people. He, he died for the whole human race. Try to tell that to those who are burning in hell right now. Try to tell that to those I mentioned a while ago. Those during the days of Noah. Those during the days of the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. Those who were in that Egyptian army. Try to tell them that Jesus Christ died for everybody. Folks, that's not true. If that was true, nobody's going to hell. There's a particular people that God set His love upon. And Jesus Christ redeemed us. Those people. God's elect. He didn't make us redeemable. He obtained eternal redemption for us. So we have a Savior who is not some kind of a display of pity when He hung there on that cross trying to get people to believe on Him. He actually saved His people and He's going to make that known to His people. And those who are in these false camps of false religion, they want to say that it was your free will, so they absolutely hate the doctrine of God's sovereign, irresistible grace. <laughs> Can you imagine a puny, helpless, sinful man or woman resisting the power of God Almighty? I'm not teaching that God grabs us by the nap of the neck and brings us to Himself kicking and screaming against our will. But I am saying our will played no part in this salvation. But God makes us willing in the day of His power. That's that day I'm talking about. In that day, God came to us when we were helpless and hopeless, dead in trespasses and sins, and quickened us, gave us life. And drew us by the cords of love, by His sovereign, irresistible grace into the waiting arms of Christ our Savior. And false religionists hate this. And many of them hate what we have already heard in Ray's devotional and in Steve's Sunday school lesson. That God gives persevering grace to all of His enlightened children. We will persevere to the end by God's grace. Now, I leave you with these thoughts on the subject of God's amazing grace. In that day, the day our great God delivered us by His sovereign grace, He made us gracious. Grace just works that way. Because God has been gracious to us and will continue to be so every day of our pilgrimage journey, we are gracious to those around us. Christ working in us moves us to love one another, be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven us. I have problems with professing Christians who just cannot seem to be gracious in their dealings 
not only with ungodly people, but with those who are brothers and sisters in the church. That's not of the Spirit of God. That is a hateful, wrong spirit. God is long-suffering and patient and gentle with us. Was before we came to Christ by His sovereign, irresistible, drawing power. Has been with us every day since. And grace just works that way. We're patient with one another. Gentle and kind. Even with those who persecute us. Those I mentioned that hate the gospel, hate the truths of the gospel. They persecute those who love the truth. But God's enlightened children persecute no one. And we're gentle toward those who hate us. Planting seeds and watering seeds and praying that God will give the increase. That He will grant them repentance unto life. Because we remember the pit that God dug us out of. We were just like them. So we're gracious for the glory of of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. When visitors leave our worship service shaking their heads and God-hating unbelief, we are disappointed, but not discouraged. We know that if we continue to preach the gospel of His grace, and we will by God's grace, He in His own time will give the increase. He brings visitors into our little church here at Rescue from time to time. And He will use the gospel either to convert them to Christ by His sovereign power or against them on the day of judgment. So we're not discouraged and we'll keep on keeping on. By God's grace, we will not compromise the gospel in order to try to build a big church just flowing with ungodly Ishmaels who hate the gospel. I'd rather be with two that love the Lord Jesus Christ and two thousand who hate Him. And God will give us that understanding just to be faithful, to continue in the apostles' doctrine and in prayer and in breaking of bread and in the fellowship of the saints, waiting, as we heard in Sunday school, wait on the Lord, wait on Him, wait on Him to give the increase, but keep on keeping on. Be faithful in what God has entrusted us with. Be not moved away from the hope of the gospel. Waiting for that glorious day when faith gives way to sight. And we see Jesus Christ with the physical eye in all of His glory. And for all eternity, we began in that day and we will continue for all eternity to praise our God and give Him all the glory as we bask in the warmth of His eternal love for all eternity as monuments of His amazing grace. So in that day, our text says, Thou shalt say, O Lord, I will praise Thee, though Thou wast angry with me, Thine anger is turned away, and Thou comfortest me. Does the Gospel comfort you? It comforts all of God's enlightened children in knowing that it is always well with the righteous because Jesus Christ Himself has purposed and accomplished our redemption for us and in His righteousness we stand before God accepted in the Beloved. 
Amen. Brother John, will you come and lead us in the closing hymn?